Well, good morning and welcome. I'm uh, really low-voiced this morning. Uh, you know, I was off a couple of weeks and I was perfectly healthy and now you got this. So I, I apologize. I hope it come across uh, loud and clear. Uh, but it's great to have each of you with us today. My name is Randy, if I've not, not met you. And it's good to have you with us today as uh, we continue on. Uh, it feels like we're well into the year uh, in the middle, almost the middle of January, but it uh, really is pretty close to the first of the year. Uh, so we're, uh, we're getting used to that. But we're in a, a study that we've been in that we started last week uh, that we're entitled Barriers and kind of began the study uh, on the opposite direction of talking about first steps. And Tony did an awesome job last week of kind of laying out uh, who we are as a church and where we're going and the invitation for you guys to come and be a part of that. And uh, so I'm glad you came back today. We're going to be talking about some of the things that will uh, get in our way that kind of uh, keep us from accomplishing what God's called us to do and from following the, 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 the path or the, the journey that we're upon. And, um, you know, our mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And I, I think about that sometime, and I, I wonder if some people might think, okay, we're going on a journey, but where are we going exactly? I mean, what is the destination? And what, where are we traveling here? Uh, because sometimes it seems like in church world, uh, what we ask you to do is come back next week. You're here today. Well, come back next week, and then come back next week. And so we want you to know that it's more than just a, a pattern, even though that's important. Uh, being in worship is a, is a huge part of it. It's kind of where we get our fuel and our, our direction. Uh, but we want to talk about where we're moving to, where we're going. And the ultimate, obviously, the ultimate goal is to heaven. Uh, it's where we want to go, where we want to end up eventually. Uh, but where are we going right now? How do we know if we're on our way? And how do we know when we get there? Uh, how do we know if we get off the route and we need to get, uh, uh, do it, turn around and go back? Are there are mile markers along the way to show us our progress if we're really getting where, anywhere? Uh, are, are we moving? Are we setting still? Are we going backwards? What's going on? What if we come to a point in our life where we don't feel like we're going anywhere? And maybe those are questions that you as a Christian are kind of struggling with because it doesn't seem like there's a lot happening in your life spiritually, even though you gave your life to Christ. Well, these are all great questions. And we're going to be addressing them throughout the year. And today we're going to be talking about one thing, one big thing in our life that can keep us from going anywhere spiritually. We're going to be talking about some barriers on the spiritual journey. You know, I, most of us travel at least a little bit. And there are a few things more frustrating to us than coming to a place where we are stopped on our trip or on our journey. You know, maybe you're driving along, if you've been like me, and you're on the interstate, you're making great time, and suddenly you see in front of you, down the road, you see a series of, of uh, brake lights. And, uh, and all of it, you know, it just hits you because you're probably, you know, on a short schedule or something, and, and suddenly you realize you're going to be in construction, you're going to be in something going on. And so you creep along for a while, and you get there, and suddenly you find out, you either find out what it was, maybe it was construction, maybe it was an accident, or have you ever done that, and you got to that point, and there's nothing there, you know, and absolutely nothing, and you're like, what is, why did people just stop in the middle of the road and slow the whole thing down, you know, sometimes it's just kind of baffling about that. Maybe the road's closed, maybe the traffic's bottlenecked, maybe you had your GPS tuck you in the wrong direction, all of us have probably experienced that, or maybe you thought you were taking a shortcut. You know, and it didn't go anywhere. I mean, what is it with, like, is, is it Rose Street in Lexington that you get down there in the middle of campus and there's nowhere to go and you got to backtrack all the way back? Probably all of us have had those frustrating times in our life when we're like, where, where am I going and how do I get there? Whatever the barrier or the problem is, it can be extremely frustrating and it's discouraging to us. And sometimes we end up stopping, dead stop. Sometimes we even backtrack. Sometimes we even go back home. 
And to bring that into the, the spiritual reality, there are a lot of people who begin their spiritual lives with a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm, but somewhere along the way, they kind of lose that and they don't finish well. In fact, they may even stop their journey altogether. Maybe you identify with that analogy. Maybe you find yourself stuck spiritually. And regardless of the reasons for that, um, we want to help you get started moving again. And so like Tony talked about last week and Dan mentioned, First Steps is a great place to start. You know, a lot of us, the new year, a fresh year, we kind of want a fresh start. We're going to begin, uh, you know, making a commitment to be in church and to, to try to be growing in our walk. And I would encourage you to, to attend that. It's, again, it's today. It's going to be every week at 11. Uh, and uh, so we just encourage you, if you can't say today, come back next week and plan on doing that. But I want to clarify that our spiritual journey uh, is, is very important, not only for the moment, not only for what's going on now, also into eternity, but the Bible tells us that along the way, the journey is an experience. It is an experience not only with God, but also with other people that we invite to travel along with us. And that's very important. And so we're going to read about that today. We're going, to, we're going to see how we can be discouraged by this one huge issue that we're going to talk about, not only for ourselves, but for other people in our lives as well. Now, the road is only one analogy that Jesus uses. He uses that a lot, you know, the broad path, the narrow path. We know those analogies there. It's only one analogy that Jesus uses, but today we're going to look at another. And it's found in John chapter 15, where Jesus shares his plan for his disciples, which, by the way, is the same plan that he has for us today. So when Jesus spoke to his disciples, obviously our culture is going to translate that a little bit differently, but his plan for them is the same plan for us today. And simply put, it is a plan of producing fruit in our life and reproducing other believers, and that's pictured in this chapter in the analogy of a grapevine. Now, I don't know a lot about grape, growing grapes. I've never even tried to grow a grapevine. My parents had them when I was young. But around us, we have a lot of vineyards. So obviously, we're kind of in the middle of that analogy. And some of you probably could speak to the, the, the vine growing process a little more than I. But the Bible is pretty clear. And I think we can pull the analogy out of here because Jesus is talking here about four levels of fruit bearing. He's talking about vines that don't bear any fruit, about uh, vines that bear some fruit, Vines that bear more fruit and then much fruit. And so let's kind of keep those four levels in mind as we kind of read through the scripture in John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." So Jesus' plan, as he lays it out here, is that we all bear fruit. In other words, that we are all disciples, that's the word that Jesus used, and that we're also producing other disciples as well. You know, the motive for what we do is that we love God, we love people, we want to make disciples who in turn are making other disciples. We talked last year about that, that one way we all do it is through our children. 
We're creating and raising our kids in the Lord. We're making disciples. But also that God is asking us to invest in the lives of other people as well, to, to bring up other disciples, to uh, help them grow and mature. And he also says that we're going to do this to varying degrees. The varying degrees. And our productivity in this whole process is going to be dependent upon our connection to the vine. How connected we are to Jesus because we can't do any of this on our own. Our own spiritual health and our own position are going to determine how much fruit that we actually produce for him. Now, a couple of years ago, Tony used a very vivid analogy, and some of you loved it and some of you hated it, but it was the analogy of the four chairs. At least you remember it. You know, that's, that's one of those things, if it's uh, any, press is, any, any press is good press. So anyway, the four chairs of discipleship, I want to kind of remind you of those, and I want to kind of re- show you how this relates to the vine because it's very closely connected. The first chair that he described was the person who had not yet given their life to Christ. Remember that? person who was outside, who was basically what the Bible says is lost. And obviously that person is producing no fruit for God. The second chair, the transition from chair one to two, is when someone gives their life to Christ. So the person who would be in chair, chair two, they have come to Christ and they've begun to produce some fruit. You know, every believer produces some fruit, and maybe not a lot, but some fruit, if nothing more than faith. And then the third chair, if you recall, was the worker in the church. That's the one that is producing more fruit. Thank goodness that, that God blesses people with the desire to work and serve in the church because that's, that's kind of the backbone of the body of Christ. It's not staff or leaders. It's really volunteers and workers in the church who produce more fruit. And then the fourth chair, if you recall, was the mature believer, a disciple who is making more disciples, and in turn that corresponds to the one who is producing much fruit. So you kind of see that progression that all of us hopefully are are in, that we have moved from chair one at least into chair two. And according to this, according to this story to Jesus, the Father's ultimate goal is for every one of us is to move into the much fruit level, the fourth chair, if you will, in that analogy, so that we can be faithful disciples and we can bring glory to God. That's what it says. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. But the reality is that not every believer accomplishes that. Not every believer grows and becomes a true follower of Christ and produces much fruit. The reality is that some of us get stuck. Some get stuck in chair one, no fruit. Some in chair two, some. You know, some in chair three, more, but but never to the fourth level of, of really producing the fruit that God's intended for us. And so today we're going to be talking about some barriers, some things in our, in our lives that can prevent us from accomplishing that. Because, you know, I think a lot of us have great intentions. We really, we really want to be faithful. We want to do everything God wants in our life, but something gets in the way and we don't always even understand what it is. So we're going to try to identify those barriers for the next couple of weeks. And the first barrier to me is probably the most obvious, and that is the barrier of sin. The barrier of sin in our life. Now, what is sin? If I were to ask, give you a piece of paper and say, how do I want you to write down what sin is? Most of us would begin to write a list of sins. We would begin to write a list of things, and for the most part, you'd probably be pretty accurate, but, but it would probably begin uh, in, uh, uh, be based on or influenced by your background, what you were taught growing up or what you were, where you were raised, your own personal struggles. It would definitely be uh, influenced by culture, some things that God says are sins, the culture doesn't say is sin anymore. And it would be influenced by your own preferences. Maybe you got something in your life you don't want to write out as a sin, so you may not include that as wrong. 
But, but if we were to ask the question, what is sin itself? And kind of get away from our opinions, I think we might come to a conclusion that this is this. Sin is any action, attitude, or thought which is contrary to the character and the command of God. Let me repeat that. Sin is any action, any attitude, or thought which is contrary to the character and command of God. In other words, we don't define what sin is. God defines that. Our culture's lost track of the authority of God to define what's right and what's wrong. And so we have to go back and say, okay, anything that God says is wrong, uh, it has to be considered sin by us as well. You know, I love the word picture for sin in the Bible. It's, uh, it's a phrase uh, that is uh, kind of defined by missing the mark, missing the mark. And, and it kind of refers to an archer who is shooting arrows. Obviously, in that day, they didn't have weapon guns, uh, but they, uh, they, would, they would do target practice. And an archer would shoot his, his arrows toward a target, and not just toward any part of the target, but instead to the bullseye, the red spot in the middle, or the dot in the middle of the target. And that would be perfection. You know, the Bible tells us to aim for perfection. And I hope you know that Jesus is the one who personifies perfection. So our goal is to be like Jesus. So when we aim, we aim to be like Christ. And this analogy, whenever we miss the mark and we're not like Christ, that's what we define as sin. So he sets the example, the model, anything less than Jesus is sin we fail in, in, in being like Christ, we realize that we have failed him and we have sinned. And you know what? Sometimes it's unintentional. It's unintentional. Anybody who's ever tried to do a little you know, shooting with bow, arrow, gun, whatever it might, might be, you know that you can try your best and you don't always hit the bullseye every time. In fact, sometimes you rarely hit the bullseye. You may be all over the place. And we first give our life to Christ, we, that, that defines our life. We're all over the place. We're Great one day, and the next we're off, you know, and we're here and we're there. There's no consistency in our life. But the more intentional you become, and the more that you practice, the more consistent you will be, and the more likely you are to get closer and closer to the bullseye. Oftentimes, it's unintentional, but I've also realized that many times it's very intentional. We sin on purpose. Even though we know what perfection is, even though what we know what we should be doing, we choose not to do that, and that's an intentional sin. And those sins, those type of sins, especially the ones that separate us from God. You know, somebody said there are three different types of sin. First, there's a sin of commission. And these are the sins that we actually commit. We, we do something wrong. We usually recognize these sins. We usually think about them as being the Ten Commandments, in the Big Ten, if you will. And obviously, when you intentionally choose to do something that God condemns, that is a sin of commission. There's also a sin of omission. Sin of omission it is when we know what we should do, but we choose not to do that. We intentionally decide, I'm not going to do the right thing. James describes it like this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. For many of us, it's not the sin of commission that gets us. It's a sin of omission, where we know what we ought to do, but we choose not to do that. And then thirdly, there's the sin of disposition. And this is a sin of how we do something. And this was a tricky one, you know. These are the hardest to discern sometimes because we can be obedient, we can do exactly what God wants, but we do it with a bad attitude, we do it resentfully, and we do it in a way that doesn't uh, bring glory to God at all. So uh, sometimes that's a, the sin that we're guilty of. We might grudgingly do the right thing, but obviously God knows that our hearts are wrong. 
And whatever our sin may, whatever form it may be, when we do sin, our sin builds a barrier between ourselves and God. It, it builds a barrier. It breaks down the connection there. And you know, we see that in the very first sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. If you read that story, you know that Adam and Eve previously had walked and talked with God. They had a great relationship with God. But after their sin, that you remember, was disobeying God by eating the fruit, the only fruit he told them not to eat, when they ate that fruit, they broke the relationship with God. And from that point forward, uh, they were embarrassed, they were shameful, they went and hid in the garden, and, uh, and they were afraid to even face God. The relationship was shattered. Now, of course, we know that Jesus... The Son of God came to bridge that gap, that brokenness. He came to, because he was both God and man, he laid his life down, he died, and he bridges that gap for us. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even though we are in Christ, even as believers, we oftentimes find that we still either unintentionally or intentionally sin, we disobey God, and that causes a sense of separation between us and God. And it keeps us from being fruitful, it keeps us from being productive uh, in, in our relationship with him. And we begin to pull away from him. It damages our intimacy with God, but it also damages our relationship with other people. If we have a sin in our life, many times if it's a, a sin of pornography or a porn or whatever it may be, uh, you know, we, we are distant from our wife or our, our husband or from our children. It damages our relationship with other Christians. It also stops our spiritual growth and it prevents any fruit from being produced. And that's why sin is a huge barrier in our life to producing fruit for Christ. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, He, my Father, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And when you hear that, you're like, okay, if, if we are you know, sinful, if that's our problem, we're going to be cut off immediately. But a better translation is another one that says, He purges or cleanses it. So the gardener is God in this analogy, and his goal for every branch is that we become fruitful. He, he is not in the business of just cutting off limbs, you know, here and there, uh, just because the, the, that we sin, obviously. If a branch of the vine was down in the mud and was not producing fruit, the gardener would come along and he would, he would pick it up, he would literally wash the leaves off, he would cleanse it, and then he would put it back up on the trellis and hope that it would eventually get light, nourishment, become healthy, and begin to produce. So he is in the restoring business. And what I love about this is that this is actually a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture of here how that Christ has the power to lift us up out of the mud, to cleanse us, to wash us, and bring us to a place where we can be in the light and where we can receive uh, the, the nourishment that we need to have to be alive in God, and we can become productive for Him. You know, all of our sin that we all bear was paid for when Christ died upon the cross, it was all forgiven. And when we accept Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, it's taken away. And that's a beautiful picture of his love for us. But not only does he act to cleanse us at our conversion, but also as Christians, when we do sin, uh, it, it, it's important that we recognize that. Because many Christians I know are still involved in sin. They're still out in the mud, the dirt, and they're not producing fruit at all. Here's what John says in 1 John 2, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will have not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sin, not only for us, but also for all the sins of the whole world. And then he goes back in 1 John 1, if we confess our sin, 
He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want you to know this was written to Christians. The gospel, or uh, excuse me, the epistles were all written to Christians. The letters were written to Christians who needed to know how to live the Christian life. And, and all of this understands that Christians are going to fail. We're going to sin. And that sin is going to be going to trap us. And it may be a prevailing type of sin that we're not willing to acknowledge or let go. And this promise of forgiveness all hinges on one word, the word if. If we confess our sin. Unacknowledged and unconfessed sin doesn't automatically break our relationship with Christ, but, but what it does is that it puts us in a place of awkwardness and a, a strained relationship, and it limits what we can do for Him. Probably every one of us have had a time in our life when we had some sin that we were engaged in that, that we knew was wrong, but we weren't willing to, let, willing to let go of, and you know how awkward that is with God, because you have to kind of pray around it, you kind of have to excuse yourself, you kind of have to you know, just avoid the topic because you know that you, you, don't, you, don't, you need to let it go, but you're not ready to do that. And what that does is puts us in a place that we're not being productive for Him and we have no influence for Him. Now, I believe that you can be in Christ but still have unconfessed sin in your life, but the real question is, how long can we be in Christ and, and not bear any fruit for Him? And I think the answer is that after a while, you know, we become that vine that that is going to be cut off. And that's the warning that we have there. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that as a loving father, God will take us through the process of discipline in our lives if we fail to deal with our sin, that he will discipline us, that he is gentle in this process, and he begins with rebuke, uh, which will be followed by discipline in our life. And then if we fail to respond to that, then he will punish us. And for a lot of people, that's a hard thing to to grasp that God might actually punish us. But before you become critical, think about a, a loving parent. When my children were wrong, I would punish them in love to try to bring them back to being, you know, to the right position. And that's what God does for us as well. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So if we're not producing fruit, and we never experience the love and the rebuke and perhaps even the discipline of God, then we're probably not sons and daughters of God. And we need to go back and, and truly come to Christ to make sure that we're connected to him and, and, and submit ourselves to his discipline, to his correction. The Bible goes on to say, if sin is not allowing us to produce the level of fruit in our life, that we ought to be that God may prune us so that we can become more productive. It says every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that we'll be even more fruitful. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about pruning in our lives, which is a, a, a really fascinating topic. I kind of got wrapped up in that, and uh, I wanna, I'm excited to talk about that. But he says that God has a plan to make us productive, to make us the people he wants us to be. Goes on to say, if you do not remain in me, you're like the branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And the implication here is that at some point, when when a branch is dead, that it's cut off and it's burned. So it doesn't. It obviously, it has no production going on. But also, it could cause problems to other branches around it. And that's the discipline of God. You know, we, uh, that's why the, the implication is that we shouldn't wait for God to correct us. 
You know, the Bible says that God is a loving God and He's a patient God. He's, he's drawing us to Himself and He's asking us, you know, to, to do the pruning, to do the cleansing in our own lives. And that's why it's important to examine ourselves, to acknowledge our sin, confess our sins, rep- uh, repent of our sins, and come to God for His cleansing power. Now, not only the first time, but also throughout our lifetime. So that sin does not become the barrier that breaks our relationship with Him and prevent us from being productive. So here at Journey, we want every believer to be healthy. We want you to be connected to the vine, growing, to Christ, growing in Jesus Christ and in your faith. And we want to move everybody along on a, on a very simple journey toward Jesus. And we want to help you do that. You know, Jesus has done everything He could possibly do. He laid down His life, literally, He died so that we could be saved and to put us on a path for growth and to be productive for Him. And and we want to do the same thing. And that's kind of our commitment to you uh, as we, we kind of begin a new year. We want to do our best to make the path simple, easy to find, easy to travel, and have lots of other people traveling the path with you. And so our invitation to you is kind of join the journey. Join the journey and become what God has called you to do and, and to be. And so as we wrap up this morning, I just want to challenge you, wherever you may be, uh, what do you do with the sin that you have? Because all of us have it in our life. I do, been at it a long time. Everyone I know has a sin, sins that we maybe we repeat. What do you do with that? The Bible says that we confess our sin and we repent of them. In other words, we turn from our sin and we turn back to God. And so I want to, as we wrap up, I want to lead us in a prayer time. And uh, I want to address two groups. First of all, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, if, if you know that you would be in the analogy of of, no, uh, of chair one or producing no fruit, if you know that's you, and, and you know it's time to begin anew, that you want to acknowledge who God is, and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and you want to make a decision to follow Him, we want to give you that opportunity to do so. And so uh, during our, our communion time, which will be a responsive time in just a few moments, I'm going to be over here at the side, and I would love to talk to you about that. love to have a conversation or set up a time to have a conversation with you about your first step in accepting Christ. But then there's all the rest of us, all of us who are believers. And, and while many of us, maybe we're in the, the chair too, or we're producing some fruit, or maybe even much fruit, uh, more fruit, uh, or maybe, maybe we're very productive, but we still got something going on in our life, I want to challenge you just to search your heart and examine who you are and, and what's going on and where your heart is, where you may not be right with Him. And we're going to give you that time to do that. And if you want to come and and share in a prayer, I'd love to do that as well. And we're going to move into a time that's perfect for that because it's a time of communion. And and the Bible says that we should examine ourselves during this time, that that none of us are worthy of, of partaking of this, but through Christ we're made worthy. But if there is sin in our life, we need to we need to confess that right now to God. And we need to ask Him to forgive us and come to Him with pure hearts and open hearts to Him. So this is the time of response. We're going to have just a few moments of uh, prayer, and then we'll move into our communion time. We'll just come forward up the middle aisles and partake and go out on the outside. And, uh, and if you want someone to pray with you, I'll be down front. There may be some others who step up, and we would love to have this time with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come today, and we thank you for your love. God, we thank you that you're a, a good father. You're a loving God, a loving gardener who who uh, gently plants vines and not only expects, but even demands fruit to come to be produced. God, thank you that you invite us to be a part of, of your garden, of your family. 
God, we, we thank you for Jesus who came to connect us to you, that we can be a part of, of you and be a part of the vine. God, you, we thank you that you invite us uh, to go deeper in our faith, that we, that we uh, produce the, the greatest potential that we have and that we're as effective as we can be for you, Lord. And God, I pray that all of us would recognize that we, uh, we're on a journey, we're on an experience, that we must begin in Christ, and then we must grow into to be faithful, to prove ourselves that we are your disciples and bring glory to you and to your Father, the Father in heaven. God, we love you, we worship you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.